Hi, if you have your Bibles, would you turn to Malachi uh, chapter 4 and verse 5. Uh, we're, we're kind of returning to a theme that we've covered a lot in this church, but it, it's, you'll see from this scripture, it's an important theme. Um, and also, it's a theme that has been on my mind a lot over the summer, and last week I, I talked to you about some of our experiences through the summer of, for me and Teresa, people coming up to us and expressing what they're seeing us as, as spiritual parents and wanting to connect to that and us learning what that means, but also learning how to, really just the whole subject of, of spiritual parenting, but also raising up sons and daughters. And uh, so I want to kind of continue in that theme. The other thing that we've been surrounded with in recent weeks is, is just our own kind of great news and not so great news from our own natural fathers. So a few weeks ago, Teresa's dad passed away, and we are dealing with all the stuff that comes from that. He was 89 years old, and I'm going to say a little bit more about that probably later, but there's a lot of stuff to do. Uh, it, it, it was not left, didn't leave well, so the family situation is not easy for us to navigate right now. At the same time, my dad... Uh, on this Friday, we'll be 90 years old, and uh, we celebrated with him. We took our whole family down on a holiday uh, a few weeks ago to Devon, and then I'm going to fly down, and my uncle from America is coming over. He's a guy we rarely see, but my dad was this amazing guy, and in the, in the 1960s, I know many of you weren't even born then, when it was all getting a bit crazy and flower power was just beginning to happen, he... He was, a, he was like a dad to my mom's younger brother and sister because they were getting in trouble. They were breaking the box. He was an artist. She was blowing her life up. But he was there for them. And so he's actually flying back from America to be at my dad's 90th birthday. So the subject of father's sons has just kind of been all around me all summer. So one week was just not enough. And, and the scripture I just pulled up for you says this, that God is going to raise up in the last days. So this is now the, the final verses of the Old Testament pointing forward and saying that in the last days, God's going to raise up someone in the spirit of Elijah. And, 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 and the product of what that anointing does, what, what happens is that the turning of hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of children to their parents, or else I'll come and strike the land with total destruction. And what, what we see, this survey has been done a few times now in different places. If you gather people that are dealing with the social issues of our day, whether it's in, in Scotland or America or down south in England, people gather and talk about what are the issues and pretty unanimously, what comes out is it, it, it's to do with the parents, and particularly often the fathers. But the, the issues we now face are to do with how the generation we're in were raised by their parents. If, we could, if there was one thing we could fix in our world that would start to make drug-taking, crime, uh, teenage pregnancies... Um, yeah, self-harm, talking to people in education, up to, they reckon now half of young girls in school are self-harming. 
50%. All of this has its roots in having a relationship with a good dad and a good mom. And uh, if, if we are here, and I believe we are, the salt and light of this planet, <clears throat> and we are related to a heavenly father who is good and is always good and only knows how to be good and in whom there is no shadow of turning, one thing we're going to be absolutely fantastic at is knowing how to relate to fathers, raise up fathers, respond to fathers, be good kids, be good dads, be good moms, be good children, be good daughters, be good sons. Does that make sense? If, if the thing that is fundamentally broken and, and, and what that verse points to is if the hearts of children are not connected to their fathers and the hearts of fathers is not turned to the children, then the land suffers. The land is smitten with a curse. And you can see that, that what our social issues are a curse. <coughs> and the reason is there's a disconnect generationally. And Elijah is being raised up, someone in that spirit of Elijah. And you think about Elijah, you think, well, he killed a lot of people. Like, is that the kind of spirit that we need these days? Well, actually, what you see about Elijah, he's, he's, he had a son. He had a spiritual son called Elisha, who followed him around. And who he passed his mantle, his ministry, and his anointing onto. And, it, and, and metaphorically, it was, it, it was kind of housed in this cloak that he gave him. And what he asked for, Elisha, was double what Elijah had had. And actually, Elijah successfully passed on his inheritance and, to his spiritual offspring. And he went on to do twice as many miracles as Elijah has done. Elijah built a platform and Elisha went on from that and, and, and kind of picked up what had already been established and went even further. So that's the kind of thing that God is releasing. And I believe, well, who, who is the Elijah? Well, it, in our context now, it's Jesus. Who's releasing this? Who, what is, it, this is pointing to something is the nature of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is pouring out is actually his job is working in the hearts of children to restore them to fathers and the hearts of fathers to restore them to children so that the inheritance can be passed on and be double what it was in the fathers. Does, does that make sense? That's, that's the Elijah picture that is being presented to us. The, the, the New Testament era, the new covenant era is going to be characterized by the joining in heart of generation to generation, not the splintering of generation to generation. Is that not a challenge? But that's actually prophetically, if you like, we are called as a community. The church is called as a community to figure out what that looks like and be really brilliant at doing that together. Uh, and so... We've, we've covered this ground before, but, but I, I just feel this is so crucial to changing our city. We, can, we, can, we could start a food bank and we could do many good things, but they're all just dealing with symptoms. We need to learn how to export fathering and mothering, brothering and sistering, and I don't know what childrening is, but I'll just use that phrase, being good sons and daughters. 
And that happens in this. This is the incubator. This is the workshop. This is the place where we figure that stuff out. And maybe sometimes we get it right and sometimes we don't get it right. But this is, this is the place. And, and, and I'm looking at, I'm looking at in, in my uh, immediate family, I'm looking at the product of, of, of a really difficult father who's just passed away and actually a really gentle and good father who's celebrating 90 and shows no sign of fading. And you can just see, you can just see the seeds that have been sown by those men and their effects that they are even passing away, they are still having because of the dysfunctionality that got created in the family environment which continues in their passing. That's not a great inheritance. But at the same time, you can see my dad, people traveling halfway around the world to honor him on his 90th. Yeah? Yeah? So Paul, Paul put it this way, he said, in 1 Corinthians 4, 15, he says, though you have countless guides in Christ, or countless teachers is another translation, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel, I urge you then be imitators of me. It, it, he's pointing something out here, he's saying, and, and this is true in the church, we have any number of teachers, you can just go, you go on YouTube, you can go you know, on Facebook, there's tons of people spiritually trying to teach you stuff. There's lots and lots of teaching. You can download it. There are podcasts everywhere. Much of it really, really excellent. And it feeds you and it helps you. But Paul's pointing to a fact that believers need fathers, not just teachers. And he's pointing to another fact is that teachers are ten a penny, but there aren't many fathers. But I became your father... He's saying, and that gives me a special place of access to your community life, and I'm going to speak into it in a way that other people won't because I'm your dad. And as your dad, I'm, I'm bothered about some of the things that are going on in your environment, and I know you, you know I love you, and I hope you remember that, and, and here we go, let's deal with the stuff that's going on in your world. The church is aching for fathers. We have lots of teachers, but one of the things God is doing is raising up the fathers and mothers. Last, last week we used, I'm going to refer to fathers this week. Last week we used the, the Ruth picture, so that was a spiritual mom and a daughter. So I feel okay about talking, using lots of male words this week. Is that a fair enough balance? So that was a spiritual mom and a daughter. It's, it's there. It's the same principle happening. And then, then there's this verse that, I think it's possibly one of the most uncomfortable scriptures Paul ever wrote for the audience that he had back then. If you think about the list of people that Paul ministered with, there's actually a book in the Bible called Titus who he wrote to. There's also Timothy, and you see there's names like Silas. I mean, these were powerful guys. These were amazing guys that were on Paul's team at different times. And then he writes to the Philippian church, this is in Philippians 2 uh, and verse 19, and he says, I'm going to send Timothy to you. So one of his, his spiritual son, really, Timothy, says, I'm going to send him to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. And, and, and here we go, this gets more and more awkward the more he talks. You think, Paul, stop digging, but he doesn't. He says, I have no one else like him. Remember all these amazing people, he says... But this Timothy guy, I have nobody like him who will 
show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks to their own interests. Wow, not those of Jesus Christ. I mean, mean, this was publicly read in a church of probably many thousands of people. Maybe they knew Titus and they knew, and here he is saying, I have nobody like Timothy. Everybody else is just going after their own interests. He's like, this is so unpastoral, Paul. You're not considering all those other people's feelings when you say this. And I'm like trying to figure this out. I would never write that. I would not want to say that because, you know, look, so-and-so here, they're the best spiritual offspring, the best spiritual child I have in this church. All the other people in this room look after their own interests, but not this one. Can you imagine how that would go down? But this is the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, not having an off day. All right, this is not like, whoops, I offended a load of people. And I think, in 1 Corinthians, he's saying, you know what? There's good fathers, spiritual fathers are a rarity. What he's telling us here is is actually good sons are are probably as rare. Does, Does that make sense? So we need more of this spirit of Elijah on us. We need more. So I'm not sharing this because I think we're bad at this. I actually think this house, this church is amazing at honoring leadership. And I just feel like this is on us to go to another level. This is on us to, to, to go deeper, wider, higher, because there's so much God has called us to do in terms of national transformation. I'm not, this isn't, I'm not making this up. I'm not blowing smoke. He's called us to change cities and nations. And this is right core to it. So this plank, this plank, he, he wants to solidify. He wants to strengthen. He wants to, to, to make this really, really good in, in, our, in our house. So last, last week, we just looked at Ruth and Naomi. And Naomi being a spiritual mom. And really, the main points that we, we drew out of that was that Ruth pledged herself covenantally to Naomi where there was no, she could see no benefit to herself. This, this, there was no obvious way that this connection of heart to this woman whose both sons were dead, husband was dead, she was broke. There was no obvious gain for Ruth to connect herself to this woman other than this woman had a relationship with God and the people of God, and she was saying, your God will be my God, and your people will be my people. I don't know how this is going to work. This doesn't look beneficial to me, but there's something in me wants to connect to you because I want your God to be my God. That's all the benefit that she had. There was no way she could figure out, how is this going to help me in my destiny? How am I going to find a new husband? How am I going to have my own family? How, how am I going to come into my ministry? How am I? There was no, she couldn't plan. There was no map at this point. There was no obvious way this was going to benefit her. She was following a woman who was destitute back to a land where she hoped she'd be reaccepted. But something in her connected I mean, talked about how actually we come into our destiny and our dreams by helping other people fulfill theirs. So what actually happens is that Ruth comes into an incredible destiny and becomes the great-great-grandmother of King David. And it is in 
the lineage of Jesus. And it gets special mention in Matthew chapter 1, where the lineage of Jesus is there. And mostly it's all men. But there's two women that are put in, especially, and Ruth is one of them. And she gets adopted in. She gets married to this guy called Boaz. And it was actually illegal to marry Moabites, but they did. Later in the Bible, if you read, read in the book of Ezra, they actually had to put away all their Moabites wives and children. But somehow, because of her heart connection, because of her covenantal heart, her honoring of this spiritual mom, she gets adopted in to the very flow of, of, of God's purpose in the earth. And her name is recorded forever in the Bible and in the New Testament. Isn't that awesome? Just because she said, this woman's old, she's got no more kids, she's never going to do, she has no money, she has no inheritance, but she has God. I'm going to give myself to her, I'm going to follow her, and the rest is up to you, God. And suddenly, bam, she, she's adopted into this family. And not only that, she is key to recovering the inheritance of that family. So the woman who'd lost her inheritance, Naomi, now comes back in, gets all redeemed because of the activities of Ruth and her heart. Isn't that amazing? So you can have a crap family. You can have a crap history. But with a heart like this, you can recover your inheritance. You can actually pull more out of the person you're connected to than they actually carry. Or that they, it's obvious that so Ruth ends up with this incredible inheritance and this incredible legacy, but she couldn't see it when she connected to the woman. Are you with me? But what she got was way more than she bargained for. I remember talking to Joaquin Evans, some of you know him, he's a friend of ours and he's been here, and he, about how people, someone who came to him and said, would you pray for me? We're not seeing any breakthrough in signs and wonders, and we're not seeing any healings. He was a guy from South America, and I want what you have. And he really honored him and just put his hands out and said, pray for him. So he prayed for him, and God touched him and went away. And then sometime later, maybe a year or so, this guy shows up, and Joaquin recognizes him and like says oh how's it going he said well after you prayed for us we went out on the streets we started to see healings you know funny knees were getting healed and and deaf ears were going to get healed and all kinds of great stuff is happening he said then this happened gotta tell you this we prayed for a guy and he only had a leg as far as just above the kneecap and when we prayed for him his leg grew out we watched his kneecap grow we watched his leg grow we watched his foot grow back on the end we watched his toenails grow back on and Waki said wow i didn't have that <laughs> but his honor for this spiritual father pulled out more than he was currently carrying this is how this works so i just have a few yeah, we do have time to do this. A, a, a few points on connecting the generations of being good sons and being good fathers. Just to help us along the way. Are, are you ready for that? Lots of people struggle with this because they've had bad experiences with biological fathers, spiritual fathers. This is why we need a move of the Holy Spirit to restore this very thing because hearts need healed in this very area. It's one of the reasons we, we love and promote and do Sozo is we need our hearts healed so that we can reconnect healthily as sons to fathers and fathers to sons and daughters. And I, I just want to say you don't, there are no, there are no perfect fathers. 
That's why I love what Paul said. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. Not follow me as I am like Christ, but follow me. Not follow me as I am perfect, but follow me because I am following. You want to follow somebody who is in pursuit themselves, not someone who is static. Are you with me? But you all end up following somebody. Somebody becomes your spiritual model. And what I've observed is, is the incredible power of love and honor, what that can do, even in a really broken fathering situation. And I, I, I really don't, this is Teresa's story, and one day she's going to tell this really well. But her dad, to say she, he was difficult is really is an understatement. He, you know, he beat up his wife, he beat up his kids, both verbally and spiritually for a very long time, uh, and and physically. Um, And yet, I've watched her honor this bully of a dad and have genuine affection for him through all this and draw very clear boundaries and, and pursue her dad to the point of just before he dies, it says, this is the daughter who loves me. What's fascinating to me is in the commandment to honor our fathers and mothers. Yeah? It's in the Bible, remember. Two things about it. One is, there's no qualifications. It doesn't say you only honor the good ones. It's easier to honor the good ones, but it doesn't say... And probably these are the people you grow up in in, in their house. You know... You know if they pick their nose. You know, you know that they fart a lot. You know all about them. Possibly the most difficult people to honor because you have so much knowledge are the ones that we are urged and commanded to honor. And I know this is landing on something, but this is something that we can rise above because this spirit of Elijah, this spirit of reconciliation, this spirit of hearts turning has been released upon us. And he is wanting us to turn our hearts, not just to spiritual fathers, but to earthly fathers and start to love and honor them even if they've been horrible to us. Somehow, you'll find a way. And and there is a message coming which will help you because I've just seen Teresa walk this in a powerful, powerful way. But can you hear me? He says honor them. He doesn't say honor them if they're good. And then it says that it will then go well for you in the land. It's the first commandment of the promise. It basically saying if you honor your parents, you get your inheritance. You don't get your inheritance by pursuing your inheritance. You get it by pursuing moms and dads, by honoring moms and dads. Do you see, this this isn't the way that we would normally think. But this is... This is heaven culture. This is Bible culture that he's downloading to us. And this is what the Holy Spirit is releasing all over the planet right now. So let me just say a couple of things about... I'm just going to pray for you. I can, I can feel the ooches and ouches and the... And the <clears throat> you don't know my dad and you didn't see my mom. And it's okay. It's okay. You can make it. So Father, I pray that whatever's in this room, there's a release of grace to do this really well. Towards spiritual parents, towards natural parents, 
that we would know what it is to have our hearts turned to our fathers and our mothers. And also we pray that there would be a turning of their hearts to us in unusual and powerful ways that we, we haven't seen before. You know, if nothing is impossible, even your family isn't impossible. All right, you ready for some pointers? They're like... All right, spiritual fathers, all right, I'm specifically addressing spiritual fathers. Spiritual fathers, true spiritual fathers, have more dreams and promises than they can ever accomplish on their own in their lifetime. They're like people who walk around and it's as if God's hung on them all these sort of bags with promises. And they're like, they're almost, you know, like the bag people that you see, they're almost like that, but they're not trashy things. These are all the beautiful promises of God. Some of them can barely walk because they have so many dreams and visions that God's planted in their life. Spiritual dads are like oozing with, with, with this stuff. And, and you see it in Abraham. You know, God sits Abraham down and says, Abraham, you're going to be a dad. And you know what? You're going to bless every nation on the planet. How's that for a big one? You need, you need, you need, more, than, you need more than a Tesco shopping trolley to put that one in. That's, that's wheelbarrow size promise. And by the way, I'm going to give you all this land. And by the way, you can have children. Blah, 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 blah. And, and you look at David's life. You look at the promises that God gives these people that he has covenant with. These spiritual fathers. They're walking around laden with so many, so many visions and dreams and promises. They're like, ah! They're just looking for some people to come along and go, here, you can have this one. Here, you can have this one. Here, you can have this one. Because they're actually designed to give them away. They know they can't carry them. They know they're actually for other people. And it just sometimes so happens that the seed that's in you is in one of their bags and it kind of connects. Wow, you've got a vision for that. That's awesome because I have this huge vision for this thing. But, you know, I'll need to live to be 500 years old to get to this one. Have this one. Without Abraham, we wouldn't be here. Isn't that amazing? One guy believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and we are his spiritual offspring. So Abraham's faith is still giving birth around the world. Because he carried this shopping trolley of promise faithfully, and other people bought into it, and it got multiplied. Just saying. The other thing about true spiritual fathers is, it's actually they're wired to propel you. Actually, they're wired to propel you probably further and faster than you're comfortable with being propelled. And the reason for that is what God does for spiritual fathers, he, gives, he helps them see all the goodies in your life. And they start to believe sometimes better and more about you than you're believing in yourself. So they go, you know what, you could do this. And you're like, who, me? I could never do that. You don't know who I am. And the spiritual fathers and mothers are saying, yeah, we do, because by the Spirit, we have some revelation, and this is what you're carrying. You're awesome, you're amazing, and you're still going, no, I could never do that. And they're like, totally convinced that you could. And actually, the one who needs to catch up is you. And sometimes they'll give you assignments that scare you. And you'll look at them like, why are you getting me to do this? You've got the wrong person. They're like, they're completely comfortable 
Do you know what I mean? They're, they're, not, they're not panicky. They're not looking at you going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. They're like, you're totally the right person. And you're going, ah! And they're going, what? why are you panicking? Does this make sense? So they actually live for their ceiling being your floor. That's what makes sense of life. They want everybody to happen. They want everybody to go further, farther, and faster than they're going. When you find one of those, hook in. You'll see them, they're walking around with these these shopping bags full of promises, and they want to give them away and then make it yours be bigger than theirs. So that you're not just, you just don't have a Tesco think you're driving, you're driving a 20-ton truck with yours. And they'll be like, good on you. Knew you could do it. Are you happy now? To be... <laughs> spiritual fathers don't recruit. It's like, I just want you to know I'm a spiritual dad and, and I need you, you, you and you. And, and, and I'm going to book you in my diary and, and I want to see you three times a week because you're going to learn to be a son. And then I'm going to report to the spiritual father club that I have, I have 20 sons. That isn't how this works. That, that spiritual fathers are not interested in building their own kingdom, notches on their belt. So actually what that means is they can look like they're not interested in you because they're not booking up to see you, they're not chasing you. If you're interested, you have to chase them. Look at, look at what happened with Ruth and Naomi. Naomi is walking away. Naomi is saying to Ruth, go back. Go back to your own people. You'll be better off with your own people. All the drive and all the initiative comes from Ruth to follow Naomi, not Naomi to recruit Ruth. So if you're sitting there saying, I wish someone would be my spiritual father, be my spiritual mother. I wish someone would come and get me. Uh, it's not going to happen. Go get them. Go rock up on their door and say, I want to be fathered. I want to be mothered by you. I see something in your life and I'm not giving up. How are you doing? To be, many people aspire to be spiritual fathers, but actually to be a good dad, you need to be a son first. And good dads want to raise up other dads, not just other sons. So it's not, we're not talking about some sort of eternal kindergarten, which, which I've been in some such church situations and that's what's going on. Nobody can grow up because the dad of the house likes telling everybody what to do. So the goal is not that you think for yourself, but that you're told what to think, but that keeps everybody as a child. A good spiritual house means everybody can grow up and be a spiritual father because the goal isn't to keep you as children but to mean for you to come to maturity and begin to be fathers and mothers yourselves. Do do you get that? Which requires you to think for yourself, which requires you to take initiative, requires you to take responsibility. Now, for some people, that's scarier than being told what to do all the time. And so they'd rather line up in a place where it's all really clear what to do and you get told what to do, when to do it, when to jump and how high, rather than being equipped to know who they are in their identity, and then so can live out of their identity and be the awesome person they were called to be. Does that, does that make sense? Well, it, 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 we'll have to move on. Be a good dad, you've got to be a good son. 
To be fathered, you don't actually need lots of personal time with the spiritual father or mother. I, I felt incredibly impacted by people that I've almost never met. But I've allowed spiritual fathers to influence my life. I have been impacted by individuals who fathered us, particularly early in ministry. But there's also people who, just because you see it on them, if you open your heart and turn your inner valve onto suck, suddenly, if you start to honor and celebrate and allow your life to be influenced by their input, by their presence, by the things that they say, rather than testing and weighing it all, you know, and being independent... I mean, you have to establish that these are people you trust first. Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But that honor in you means that people can father you from, quote, a distance. You don't need to have a meal with them every six weeks for it to be a meaningful thing. You need to be, it's almost like there's a rope dangling behind them. And if you hang on to it, you're going to be propelled with them into your future, whether you like it or not. You get to choose to hold on, and sometimes it gets pretty rough. Because the way they're going, you may not understand it, and you have the complete freedom to let go anytime you want. But I wouldn't advise it, because if you cling on, you're going to end up where you're supposed to be, almost by, quote, accident. You see, God's in charge of your destiny, not you, and he made the plan work this way, not the way you think it should work. He's not going to take you to where you want to go by you working out how to get there. He's going to take your plans, he's going to rip them up, he's going to trample all over them, he's going to make, he's going to make papier-mâché of your plans over and over again until you get the idea that the way you get there is his way, and his way is a relational way, not an independent way. You can't come into a measure of your destiny by doing it on your own, but you'll never come into the fullness of your calling in isolation. And that's one of the issues we have in our wonderful nation of Scotland is there's too many ministries and not enough covenant. Just saying. We can change this nation. You don't need lots of people. You just need people who are connected in heart. Think about, think about Jonathan and his armor bearer. There's another great picture of, oh my goodness, time. Go read that for yourself, homework. Two people once saw defeat a whole army because they were together. All right, we did, we did good. We, we did it all. You, you were fantastic today. I mean, you paid attention. You got discouraged at moments, but you recovered well. Um, I just think it's amazing. Love, love talking to you today. We just want to take a few moments to just see what the Holy Spirit wants to do. I just felt he wanted to heal some people this morning. Uh, bring some words. So we're just going to take a few minutes. By my watch, it's 26 minutes past. So we're just going to take a few minutes before we go for kids, okay? Um, I had an encouraging experience last week. We go down and, and Barbara Jenkinson, some of you know, we're serving her in this church that she's seeking to plant down in, in Troon. And, you know, when you do these healing things, it can be, it's really risky, whether you do it on a bus or you do it here. And, and I, I was down there, we, Teresa and I were down there the month before, I think, and I had this word of knowledge for a knee problem, and nobody responded. So I think I probably prayed, but I was, thought, okay. This lady comes up to me last week, 
and says, I wasn't even aware that it was my knee. I have a problem with my knee, but I just got so used to it that I wasn't even thinking about it. So I didn't respond to your word of knowledge. I just went home and started to realize over a number of days that I no longer had a knee problem. I didn't respond. I hadn't remembered I'd got one, but God healed it anyway. I had some sort of displaced, misaligned knee for like eight years that she'd forgotten she had. She didn't respond in faith. Nothing like that. God healed it. I'm like, come on. So you could be amazingly powerfully healed right in your seat right now, or you may walk out of here and still be healed. However it happens, we do want to know. 